Shining Tampa Bay and WMNF 88.5 FM. Family, how are you doing? Hope all is well. This is Fire and Ice Podcast. Remember, family, this information is educational for educational purposes and should not be used for any negativity. So let's get cracking. Today, I'm going to uh, I have a special guest here from the Buffalo Soldiers. But before I introduce the Buffalo Soldiers um, national president, I'm going to read the history of the Buffalo Soldiers so that we can have a foundation that we can actually understand the remaining of the interview. Today is Buffalo Soldiers Day proclaimed by President George Bush in 1992 to celebrate all black army regiments outstanding legacy of service. The Buffalo soldiers as Bush acknowledged are a historical important group best remembered for fighting on the American Western frontier, but their achievements were not limited to the Western United States. Bush said, Members of the Buffalo Soldiers served in other parts of America and in places as far-flown as Cuba, Mexico, and the Philippines. The Buffalo Soldiers fought through both world wars and a number of other conflicts. Throughout all of this, as Bush acknowledged, because of racism, they often received the worst food and equipment and labored without the respect and recognition that were their due. Here are three things to know about these regiments. First, the Buffalo Soldiers' relationship with the American government changed over time. As the National Museum of African American History and Culture records, an 1866 Act of Congress created six peacetime regiments of exclusively black soldiers. Later, these regiments were mounted into four, two infantry and two cavalry, collogically referred to as the Buffalo Soldiers. There are a few competing theories as to how they got this name. But as the museum notes, the soldiers considered the name high praise. Throughout their history, the soldiers had a rocky relationship with the American government they served. The second one, their involvement in westward expansion was complicated. The Buffalo soldiers found themselves working on the western frontier. Why? Writes the museum. African-Americans could only serve west of the Mississippi River because many whites didn't want to see armed black soldiers in or near their communities. They built roads, acted as park rangers, and fought in battles to defend American westward, westward expansion. The NMAAHC writes, Black soldiers use military service as a strategy to obtain equal rights as citizens. Paradoxically, they sought to achieve this by engaging in government-led wars, 
meant to overtake the Southwest and Great Plains from, from Native Americans. Number three, they had rich lives outside of service that were tainted by racism. Harry O. Flipper, for instance, was the first black man to attend West Point, becoming an officer of the Buffalo Soldiers after graduating in 1877. He had been born into slavery in 1856. So those are the three things that kind of laid the foundation for this interview. And now we're going to speak to the national president, which is Motown Maurice. So Mr. Motown Maurice, go at it. <laughs> so, uh, hey, glad to be here. So that's the Smithsonian version of uh, the Buffalo Soldiers. But I will tell you one of the things I'll start with is Henry O. Flipper, right? Mm -hmm. Henry Flipper was actually not the first, first West Point attendee. Mm -hmm. He was the first to graduate mm -hmm. from uh, West Point. All others before him had failed. He went to four years of school without anyone speaking to him while he was there. He was also famous for what they call Flipper's Ditch, which is in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. He was an engineer by trade. Okay. He was the one that taught them how to have water run uphill. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And uh, he actually lives, used to live where I live now, which is El Paso, Texas. Okay. Where he had a home there. But he was actually given a dishonorable discharge out of the military because they said he stole a dollar and 37 cent out of the commissary, which he was in charge of. Okay. And later on, President Clinton came back and pardoned him for those actions. Right. So our history, we're rich in history. You know, my organization, you know, we pushed the ninth and 10th Calvary and all the great things that those men did. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the name Cathy uh, Williams. Cathy mm -hmm. Williams was a female mm -hmm. who actually uh, was the only known female to be in the regular army. Okay. And only her brother and her fiance knew that she was a female uh, for all those years. And when she got hurt, she actually was, uh, that's when they noticed she was a female, right? And actually discharged her. May I ask you what year we're referring to? I really don't know the year right mm -hmm. off, mm -hmm. uh, but I want to say it was in the 18, I want to say 1867, somewhere in there. Okay. Because uh, it was shortly after they were introduced into the regular army. Mm -hmm. um, so it would have to be around 1870 because she ended up doing about three years or so, whenever it was. But okay. at that point, the reason why they couldn't tell she was a, uh, a woman was because she was taller than the average man. Mm -hmm. Back then, the average man was right five eight, mm -hmm. and, you know, five six, and she was like five eight. So mm -hmm. she got through like that. But <clears throat> you gotta remember these men uh, who fought back then; they made thirteen dollars a month. Mm -hmm. That's what they made, and to take care of their families and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So, but yeah, she she's the only female, and that's why we have female riders in our club, right? Okay, great. That's, that's a great trans. Yes. Uh, that's that's a um kind of intersect kind of situation there. So speak on that a little bit about what what is your diversity in your organization? How is it made up, whether it's um, gender, race, whatever? What what can we expect to see when we um, talk about the Buffalo Soldiers? So when you talk about the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers and Troopers Motorcycle Club, we are comprised of men and women from all backgrounds. And we have... Uh, Doctors, lawyers, retired military, 
active military. We have regular vets who did three, four years in the military. So you name it, we have it, law enforcement, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's nice to be able to walk into a room and ask a question, and someone in that room can answer the question. Right. Like, and, you know, and we're all common ground. You know, like we serve, we ride, and we educate, mm-hmm. and that's what we like to do. Okay. So um, when you talk about the, the dynamic of the organization, how do you um, – how many branches all over nationally? What are we What are we so looking at So we have uh, 113 chapters mm-hmm. all over, mm-hmm. uh, and well over, that we have thousands of members, right? We're okay. the largest motorcycle, African-American motorcycle club in the world. Okay, so... Um, Predominantly did, African-Americans, because we have all nationalities. Okay. Right? So we have like one guy from China, he's Chinese, uh-huh. and we have Koreans, and we have uh, Caucasians, you name it, we have it. As long as you're ready to ride, serve, and educate, we're fine. Okay, and and so what is your um, recruitment process, and and what is your um, enrollment? You know, how do you become a member of the Buffalo Soldier? Well, we don't we don't actively recruit. Mm-hmm. People seek us out. Okay, and then we bring them on to what we call a hangaround period. Okay, for three months, where they come out and we get to know you, you mm-hmm. get to know us, mm-hmm. right in that local chapter. Okay, and then. If we feel like you're going to be a, a, a good fit for the organization, mm-hmm. right, like-mindedness, right, Okay. then we'll bring you in as a probationary member, right? Okay. And that can go anywhere from 6 to 12 months. It just depends on what you do. We request that you do a community service. Mm-hmm. Make sure you get out there and ride, long group riding, that kind of thing, right? Okay. And make sure you're ready to ride, serve, and educate. And at that point, once you complete a minimum of six months on that portion, then the chapter, local chapter, will vote you in as a member. Okay. Right? You gotta okay. have a motorcycle that's over 750 cc's, mm-hmm. right? I will tell you, most people ride big bikes, much larger than 750 cc's, because mm-hmm. we do long distance riding cross country. Right. Like we're all right now, we're here from all over the country: Oakland, California, Phoenix, Arizona, Alabama, Texas, you right. name it. And our Germany and Hawaii crews are here too. Another, uh, that's a great segue. Why are you in Tampa Bay? Why are you in Tampa Bay this week? And give us a little bit about what you're doing and, and, and the impact that you plan to have on Tampa Bay. So we have a, what we call, uh, what I call an external and an internal mm-hmm. agenda, mm-hmm. right? So we ride, of course, we educate the public on the rich history of the Buffalo Soldiers, but we serve our community by giving back. So we're going to be donating over 1,500 uh, backpacks to kids in the local community in a pre-field with our partner, which is Harley-Davidson Motor Company, mm-hmm. right? So we partner with them to be able to do that. We're going to actually have a ride through the community, but we've been giving back all week. Yesterday, we fed the community at Conan's Barbecue. Today, we have kids at Bush Gardens that we're sponsoring. Tomorrow, we'll be at uh, Tampa Hope. And then Thursday, we'll have some women go out and talk to the women at Tampa Hope right, to uplift them. And then on Friday, we'll do uh, our meeting, and then we'll have our dinner dance. And then on Saturday, we're going to take those 1,500 book bags to Edison and Lamb Elementary. Okay. And then we're going to go out there and just have a good time with them. But we're going to actually take 400 motorcycles and ride through the community, right? That's a pre-planned route. Now, that's external. Right. Right. And we still have a lot of other community services that we're doing. But then internally, we also train our own people. So we have secretary classes, we have treasurer classes, new presidents, vice president classes, we have uh, estate planning, uh, we have group writing classes, we have 
uh, road captain courses, and that's internal. Okay. So all the things that keep us moving internally, that's what we do. Okay. And so internally, externally, we try to affect everyone. Right. So tell us how did Tampa Bay get selected for your national conference? Um, our largest portion of our community for our club is mm-hmm. actually on the East Coast. Okay. So we try to go to a place that's conducive where we can get in that's biker friendly mm-hmm. and be able to get in and out, right? Right. Uh, we're used to riding in the rain, so coming here in the rain and leaving in the rain more than likely, right? We're used to it. Right. But uh, we pick places that have a need for us, which is everywhere, right? Okay. But there's only so many places we can go that can handle the volume of motorcycles, parking, you know, have the right hotel space and the conference space and all that. So is it, we're very selective in that. And if you want us to come, we just ask that you help us be able to come into your city. Right. Okay. So it sounds like the um, the club here helped organize this event, right? Yes, they were a part of it, but uh, actually it's a national event. So okay. So my national staff actually okay. does this. Okay. So um, without you being here... Um, at this time, would your local chapter, Tampa Bay local chapter, what do they do? What do they do? Because we don't hear. Where would you find out their service to the community? Well, they have a local website, mm-hmm. um, but the contact is easily get. Mm-hmm. And you can reach out to them, and they will come out and help and assist. What you know, We try to reach everyone, mm-hmm. and a lot of people will say, well, I don't see them, I don't see them. Right. Well, that's because we're in certain schools over here. Mm-hmm. Those who ask, we do, right? Right. So closed mouths don't get fed. Right. So if you request, just like I tell everybody as we're going around, if you need us, mm-hmm. call us. Right. So it doesn't have to be a local chapter. It might be a chapter that comes in from Orlando mm-hmm. to come down and help the kids or the community here, right? They okay. can, we can come from anywhere. And so that's what we do. And that's what we've done. So okay. we're here from all over to do that. So um, I asked that question earlier about... Um, the business impact you would have on the community. Could you talk about that? Like, for instance, you, you're coming in, somebody is going to benefit from all of these um, members coming in. So what kind of impact that you um, bring to Tampa Bay? So the economic impact, mm-hmm. let's, let's discuss that. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, of course, just talk about fuel uh-huh. for motorcycles and vehicles and motorhomes and all that right. kind of stuff. Let's talk about the hotel spaces, hotel right. taxes, that kind of stuff. Right. right? Uh, when it comes to the business portion of it, one of the things, it's all about Estimated, the dollar. Right. It's, it's mm-hmm. all about dollars. Right. But at the end of the day, um, as we are coming here, the big economic impact that we're having is what I've learned is during the summer months, mm-hmm. like Tampa, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of things going on in Tampa. And so we, I take it personal by me bringing all of our people here, the national meeting here, mm-hmm. we're giving jobs to people mm-hmm. that would normally be laid off. Okay. Like those hotel maids and yes. all that kind of stuff. They mm-hmm. normally would have to go find something else to do mm-hmm. until the official season came back, right? Right. So we're making a big economic impact, not just the local stuff, but for the local people yes. to be able to continue those chefs that work in a hotel and all that kind of stuff. A couple of DJs that are going to come out and help us. Right. Right. You know, right. those guys would be like, right, waiting for the Gasparilla almost next year, right? Absolutely. And a couple of little pieces here and there. So the impact that 
this organization makes is a mm-hmm. positive impact for all. And and that's very good because um, I went out to the Conan barbecue yesterday, and one of the things that I noticed that people, a part of the Buffalo Soldiers was actually quite nice. They were very, um, <laughs> very friendly, very helpful. Matter of fact, the guy that I parked next to gave me his umbrella because it was raining, you know. So um, that chivalry situation is still alive in your organization. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, So um, this podcast is really about uh, entrepreneurship, economics. How do we see our community as coming on board as providing or starting up businesses. And so with that being said, could you tell us what your organization do to help um, with the entrepreneurship aspect, please? So we actually uh, invite local vendors Mm -hmm. to come uh, be vendors at our area. Like one last night at Conan's, right? Mm -hmm. You had the DJ that was out there, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I say, look, come out and, you know, if you got USBs or something like that, come out. This is mm-hmm. kind of music that people listen to. You can come out and make some money doing that. Right. The young girls today, they have braces that they make. Mm-hmm. You know, we would invite them to come out, and people would support that, and mm-hmm. we support that. Mm-hmm. And so the big impact on local business, like Conan's Barbecue, right? Right. I wanted the money to impact our neighborhood. That's very good. Right. And so that's why we were at Conan's, right? Right. And, you know, and I, and I truly believe that, and I really mean this, God puts people in your way for a reason. Right. You know, it's a season, reason, and a lifetime. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We're at a point now where we need each other. Yes. Economically, right? And so our dollar needs to go in our communities, right? Now, we will go out and help anyone, Mm -hmm. but we have to take a a stance on helping our community. Yes. So, um that's good. I think I'm looking for, do you have anything structurally in your organization to help individuals to get skills to start new businesses? Do you have an entity that so, works on So we that actually, aspect? I won't say we don't have that for, per se on a daily, right? Mm-hmm. So what we have are mentors in each chapter mm-hmm. that go out and help people try to structure their own businesses and that kind of stuff, okay. get classes. So we give, like this year... At the national level, we're giving out $100,000 in scholarships to those graduating seniors, right? Mm -hmm. And so we use that as a Graduating seniors from high school Mm -hmm. or college? High school. High school, okay. To get Mm -hmm. them started, right? Okay. And then our national winner, we actually follow for four years, Mm -hmm. right? And actually give them money for four years. Mentorship, okay. And mentorship and Mm -hmm. all that. And the local chapters, especially if there's a local winner, right? Right. They will continue to make sure that person probably has a computer and paper and pens and blah, 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 yes. for the, you know, printers and all that. And we follow them to actually be a part of their lives, right? Right. With the intent that they will understand the power of giving back. So, so if, if, so what do you think we need to do to transfer us to the next level of independence or sustainability in the black community? And when you give us that, the information, how do we see it as um, entrepreneurship with building community and visually how can we see that? How do we see it and what does it look like in the black community? Well, you know, our impact as being mentors in a black community mm-hmm. starts with, you know, the organization itself, right? Mm-hmm. 
and having people buy into what we're trying to do to affect other people's lives. Mm -hmm. But just like we talked about earlier mm -hmm. on the different types of insurances, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about generational wealth to get mm -hmm. people started, you know, with that being said, you know, we talked about how all insurances are mandatory except for life insurance. Right. Right. Other cultures have policies on their children at an early age. We don't. Right. And by the time we figure out we need insurance, it's probably too late. And we start these GoFundMe pages and fish fries, you know. But at the end of the day, we have to learn to start early to make an impact later. Because the fruits of your labor is not going to come maybe not tomorrow you know, next week, mm -hmm. next month, the fruits of your labor, you may not even be around to see, but you have to lay the foundation mm -hmm. for it to work. So that's, that's beautiful. I, I like for you to unpack that whole um, generational wealth as it relates to, okay. Um, Cause we all been told generational wealth come from a house. We've been told, uh, we know it's not savings account cause we don't, save money, but we've been talked about land, you know, so when you, when you um, factor in life insurance, um, that's a language we haven't heard. I mean, is there, a, is there a key ingredients in that? Why haven't we heard that along with building generation wealth, we need to go out and get a life policy? Well, because we're thinking of the 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 assets, the physical assets that people have, right? Mm -hmm. Young kids nowadays, you know, I, I have sons and, you know, they waiting to get my house, right? Mm -hmm. But they don't realize what it took for me to get that house. Okay. And as we give our children, we've made it worse in our generation, okay. right? Okay. You know, we've been giving our children everything. You know, they want to go get a $150 pair of shoes, right? We're, we're doing that. So when you don't work for something... You don't value anything, right? That that young man or woman who goes out and buys their first car, you know, for a thousand dollars, that's the best car in the world, right? Mm -hmm. When you go out and buy someone a fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollar car, right? They don't value it because they had nothing, no input on that vehicle, right? Right. So we have to push not only generational wealth, but we have to push the piece of you have to do your part. Right. And I'm not gonna give you everything because a parent's, so let me say this, a parent's worst nightmare in, in life is that our kids don't understand how great they are, which becomes our biggest disappointment. So your biggest disappointment in your life is understanding that your kids are not going to live up to your expectations of what you know they can be, whether it's the president of the United States or the manager of Walmart, right, doing things that can take care of themselves because we don't want to leave this earth not knowing that our kids can't take care of themselves. Right. So the economic power starts with the family. And when you start with the family, that's when we get into the insurance policies. You know, siblings, we talked about it earlier, should be should have policies on siblings, right? The children, your grandchildren all should have policies, right? And guess what? That money from that generational wealth building, that's when you start your entrepreneurship, starting your own business, starting this. The hardest people to work with is your family. They're the hardest. So with that being said, you know, I don't want to use it. So the words I want to use, but if I have 10 houses and I gave, you're my sister, and I said, you be in this house, and that's my brother, and you be in that house, and I fill those 10 houses with family. In our culture, we're going to come up with excuses why I can't pay the rent this month or the mortgage this month. Right. 
But guess what? I'm gonna say it what like I said. If you're renting this home from a Caucasian person, you're gonna make sure you pay that. Because if you don't pay that, he's gonna put you out. What do we do? We give you that leniency. One month, two months, you ain't on time. Three months, you still ain't on time. A whole year, you ain't on time. Some months, you ain't going to pay nothing, right? And guess what we're, we're doing? We're actually hurting them because we're not holding them accountable. Mm-hmm. But the bank is still holding us accountable for having that mortgage on that house. Well said. So at the end of the day, we talk about entrepreneurship. We talk about the economics. But the economics start at home. And, you know, I was a firm believer when my sons were younger I'm not giving you anything. You got to work for this because no one out there is going to give you anything. Right. And I need you to be a hardworking man. My sons are ages from 29 to 36. Right. They can meet you right now. And they're going to say, yes, ma'am. They're going to say, yes, sir. When you do that, people are more apt to help you. Right. So we, are in a generational crisis right now. And that's where my organization comes in to change the focus on changing people's lives, right? Because you'll hear people say, oh, why you make him or her say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. That's a slave mentality. No, that's a respect Respect. mentality. That's what that is. If you want someone to respect you, then you show them the respect that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So, And people don't understand that plays a big part in economics, entrepreneurship. Yeah, you can want to open up a cookie factory, but your attitude's wrong. You're, not, you're hurting yourself. But guess what? That young man or woman who really doesn't know how to start that cookie factory, you know what they're going to say? Sir, I would like to start a cookie factory. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes. I can do that. Yes. No, ma'am, I can't do that. Yes. And guess what? People are going to help you. Yes. But you got to want to help yourself. I agree. And you help yourself by your attitude. Right. So... Now, I didn't plan to discuss this, but um, like mine, it's two topics I want to jump in on. And and it's a new topic, so I understand if you're not prepared for it. Um, Reparations for black people. (laughs) What is your mindset? Because I I hear you, and I'm intrigued by how you... um, systematically went through that process in terms of um, you need to actually have accountability. And so I want to hear your perspective on reparations because you know it's all in the media now. You know what happened in California. You know there's committees out there. You know there's plans out there. And we also know that um, in somewhere along the way, it wasn't defined, but the president promised to do something and so on and so forth. And it gets tied into who are we as a people and what happened to us coming out of Africa, landing in America, building America. <laughs> so, okay, so this is not, this is this is Nathan Mack speaking on this topic. Not okay. Motown from the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers, True okay. Motorcycle Club. So I want to okay. make that perfectly clear, okay. right? So as Nathan Max sees it, I, I will say rep- when it comes to reparations, instead of trying to go back and get things that we had nothing to do with it, with, um, we should be focusing on 
providing for us? Where are our black grocery stores at? Where are our black businesses hiring black people? Where are the women that are teaching these young girls how to be women? We lost the fact that you hear people say it all the time, where's Big Mama who cook? We got young women that can't even cook anymore. And then we got young women that are out here, you know, seeing themselves in a certain light, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing. And one day, how are you going to be a leader in your community when people now, because of social media, can go back and say, oh, you used to be this. So it's how you carry yourself. So when it comes to the reparations piece, I just believe that we have to start doing more for ourselves today and less worried about what happened yesterday. Now, history teaches us on and gives us that experience on what we should and should not be doing, right? But I, I just, I'm just a firm believer in that. We have to help us be better. I, I agree, but I need you to speak to systematic and I need you to speak to structural things. And, and, and because um, Sankufa says, you got to know your history if you plan to have Absolutely. a future. So we got if we're saying we got to be held accountable, we got to hold other people accountable that perhaps created certain conditions. So I would like to for you to tell me about the structural things cuz we can't ignore those things. So let's say systematically how did we kind of hurt ourselves, right? Systematically. Not necessarily how we hurt ourselves, systematically how the structure is built. And because if we don't acknowledge that, then we're saying all of our history didn't matter. No, no, no. I, I'm, I don't see it that way. And, and, and again, I know history is a big part of what we do. But mm -hmm. when I say, I guess I'm focused on what can we do today? Mm -hmm. I know my history. Mm -hmm. I know the mistakes that I've made, mm -hmm. right? I know how I can be better. Mm -hmm. I just need to put something in place to be better. Mm -hmm. But I have to have people to go along with me to make it because I can't do it by myself. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I need my village mm -hmm. to buy into mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. right? So when, it, when I say we, you know, we have babies raising babies. Back in the days of a young woman got pregnant, it was the end of the world, Right. Now a young woman gets pregnant, it's acceptable, you know, and, and, and that's not acceptable to me. Yes. When you're sitting up here and you have you know, a young lady right there in Detroit where I'm from, she has six kids and she has five baby daddies, right? But at the end of the day, you know, who's responsible for that? Yeah, there's a system in place to take care of that, but why? That gives you no initiative to even be better. But again, you have babies raising babies. She's 23 with six kids. Who is she going to raise? Can't do it, you know? And so my thing is today, you know, we know what the right thing to do is. Mm -hmm. But it's too easy to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. When we talk about structure, and I'm a military man. Mm -hmm. I believe in structure. Mm -hmm. I believe in giving guidance. Mm -hmm. People ask me about my sons all the time. They say, how are your sons doing? My reply to them is, None of them are dead, none of them are in jail, and none of them live with me. That's good. That's good. Because we have, in today's society, we have grown men still living with their mother, 45 years old, 50 years old. That is crazy to me. I left home at 17 and made my way. You know, most people in the military come in at 17, 18, they made their way. They didn't 
quit and go back home. They stuck with it. You know, you got that young man, young woman, this ain't for me, right? I had my, I use my brother as an example. He goes to Ford, gets a job at Ford. Most people trying to kill themselves to get in Ford, right? He gets a job in Ford, comes home one day, and he tells my grandmother, my back hurts. My grandmother says, you should quit. He never went back. So we have perpetuated those situations, right, internally. And that's why I say we. The structure starts with us. But now transitioning back to my organization, I have people that love to do what they do in this community Mm -hmm. and to provide structure. Mm -hmm. We go do STEM programs, read to the kids, get the Mm -hmm. kids interested in robotics Mm -hmm. and engineering and all that. So um, it's well documented that by the year of 2035 um, to 2053, the black wealth will be at zero. So, yeah. Hold on, so, that's documented, well documented. So let me say this. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for that. Mm-hmm. I'm a product of no mother at home, mm-hmm. no father at home, mm-hmm. first graduate in high school. Mm-hmm. I believe in choices. Mm-hmm. I believe in, right, I've never had a drink in my life. Everybody mm-hmm. in my family drinks. Mm-hmm. I wanted more in life. Maybe God touched me that way. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I will tell you, mm-hmm. people have choices. Mm-hmm. Hate to say it, Greg sitting in this room right now. Mm-hmm. He had choices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Here's my thing. I don't go to McDonald's every day, mm-hmm. but I'm out here making a difference every day. I can go to McDonald's because I ain't behind those bars. Mm-hmm. Behind those bars, I'm not paying $100 for a cheeseburger. Mm-hmm. I'm out here trying to get it. I'm out here trying to let someone know I'm not a wealthy man by dollars and cents. I'm a wealthy man by knowledge and education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so my knowledge and education keeps me moving and pushing. Mm -hmm. And here's what I tell people. Make that hard choice. Mm -hmm. Make that hard choice. Because at the end of the day, everybody who goes with you won't go with you. Mm -hmm. They went as far as they can go. And you got to keep pushing. And every day that I do this for my organization, I'm going to make it do what it do. I'm going to keep it pushing. Okay, so thank you. That was a very well explained, but I have another surprise question for you. Yes, ma'am, I'm ready. Um, In June, Supreme Court Justice um, gutted the affirmative action, Mm -hmm. and and they gutted it in education. Mm -hmm. So the two um, universities, one private, one public, um, that was... um, at the court level, UNC, uh, University of North Carolina, and it somehow it slided out, and then they really focus on Harvard University in terms of the legacy and, and all of those different things. So I think we all are at a certain age where affirmative action has, we hear it in the background because I don't know anybody to have benefited from it, but um, we well, except for Clarence Thomas, he's like the biggest figure that we can come to mind in the recent times. How do you see the affirmative action coming into mainstream, and what will it impact? Be- and I can give more context. The here's the context to it. When Brown versus Board of Education in 1954 was ruled by the Supreme Court justice, it didn't only 
um, hit school, it hit all the way through society. It changed everything through society. Although it took years, it took to 1970, um, you know, just cause or just speed or whatever. So with that landmark decision with Brown versus Board of Education, it went from school all the way through society integration, supposedly. Okay, but we know it didn't really do a whole lot. But affirmative action been gutted, so where would that go? Have you seen it leaving college and going out into society, reshaping things? Please give me your response. So I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say this as Nathan Mack, Mm -hmm. not as Motown, the national president of the Buffalo Soldiers. Okay. Troopers and Motorcycle Club. So let me say this as Nathan Mack. Mm -hmm. Affirmative action has gotten a lot of people where they should be. Mm -hmm. Now, what they do with it when they get there, that's on them. Right. But I equate affirmative action to legacy. So, you know, you're going to gut affirmative action but you're still going to allow legacy, right? Not that my child is the smartest, but I provided so many funds to to this educational institution that you should allow my child who's not worthy to go to this school, right? So if you're going to do one, we need to fix the other. So right now there's a lawsuit against legacy, okay? They, they, they When they looked at it, but... The hypocrisy of affirmative action, if we square down who benefited from it, it was definitely white women who benefited from affirmative action first, and then white men, and then white people who had a disability, and then Asians, and so on and so on. So that's the number. So the um, what happened is Mr. Bloom, who brought the case, um, that was his fifth case. He had tried for five other consecutive times, and his last one being University of Texas, where he brought in a white female. And uh, Supreme Court justice ruled that, no, we, she has not been discriminated against. Get on with your business. So then he advertised and he brought in Asians. The ironic part about the Asians, um, Harvard University was uh, enrolling 26% of Asians and only 6% of blacks. So when they brought the case, they did not expose the true numbers. So um, people are saying now that affirmative action has been gutted that actually did help Asians but never helped blacks in terms of it helped them but at a, at a at extremely lesser rate than it would have. And this is statistics across the board. I, I agree to a point. Mm-hmm. I just I just know that uh, our ground base is home base. Mm-hmm. And so let's take affirmative action out of the university. Mm-hmm. Let's take it out of the colleges. Let's just take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the decisions that are made by individuals when they get to that college or university because the door opened, they got in it. Mm-hmm. We have institutionalized the fact that I'm going to go to a school, and I'm supposed to get an education, Mm -hmm. but yet I'm pregnant in my second semester. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have a responsibility to, you know, to be able to do that, Mm -hmm. right? I didn't, I've seen in the military, Mm -hmm. young women come, I don't care what they are, black, white, pink, or purple, Mm -hmm. they come in, Mm -hmm. two years later, they pregnant. Mm -hmm. 
You didn't so that's a good point, but let me let me square some more on that. I got to bring me, some more. Me. I got to bring some more. Bring some more to the table because I'm ready. Right. Okay, so seventy five percent of uh, affirmative action, um, no, seventy five percent of legacy is what they use to get into Harvard, right? 75% of the people is on the legacy. And now on the legacy is also military. Military is on the legacy. Ooh, okay. So, and annually, annually, Harvard only opens up 5% of the new enrollees that come in anyhow, right? So what I'm, what I'm saying is that when we talk about legacy and we look at affirmative action, we have to say that that um, merit-based situation is um, has been thrown out the window. The merit-based situation has been thrown out the window for the legacy kids. Well, here's basically. A, here, but here's the deal, though. Mm-hmm. We need to create our own legacy. We have to create our own playing field. So piggyback into where where are we going with that? That's got to so, be. So let me say this. Okay. Okay. If my mom and dad were educated mm-hmm. and they were before me mm-hmm. and I go behind them, mm-hmm. that legacy was created. Mm-hmm. One of the things in our community is we don't have educational legacy. Mm-hmm. And so educational legacy has to start from somewhere. Right. And so as we create not only generational wealth, we create our own legacy. Right. And we combine the two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Affirmative action still needs to be there. So let's just talk about it. This is Nathan Mack saying it. When you have institutional racism, right, that holds people back, right? But we, I'm a firm believer in that we create our own destiny. So right there, that's a great thing because the conversation you factor in, right now we have 102 HBCUs. Now we factor in these schools. And, and so... We now say, okay, um, because they have been suffering with enrollment from us, and now they said other people can get into there if you want more state dollars. But since affirmative action been thrown out and it's not race-based anymore, what do you say about the affirmative action as you tie it to the HBCUs and so, creating that legacy? So let me say this. There's 107 HBCUs. 37 of them are what? Um, private. Private. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. in those 37 that are private, mm-hmm. they have legacy. Mm-hmm. They have legacy. And so the other schools, just so you'll know, we're getting ready. Now, this is the National Association of Buffalo Children and Troopers Motorcycle Club saying this one, mm-hmm. Motown. Mm-hmm. We are now partnering with those others to give them scholarships. Uh, in the name of our founder, Kenneth Dreammaker Thomas, mm-hmm. right, to help those other institutions out, right? Right. Because here's one of the biggest problems we have. Let's talk about affirmative action. Let's talk about legacy. But what about alumni? We don't give back. We graduate and we go. Those other schools, it's almost like it's mandatory, that you, when you leave, you lease in $100 a month or 1200 whatever, however they do it, right? We don't do that because we need that fast car, that nice house. We got to keep up with the Joneses. We got to do right. all that. I'm a realist. One of the things that I saw when I went to the Board of Governors meeting about last month in June, early part of June, when they gave out the 100 um, I forget how much it was, $100 million or something, 
HBCU got the least amount of money. And 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 what was interesting about that, um, that was the norm. They always got the least amount of money, you know, and they are told to do the most with that least amount of money. And then you hear the talk and point that, okay, leadership in those schools probably are not the best. Um, that's why, I mean, there's all kind of reasons around it. It's not a cut and dry reason. So um, to give us the, the continued legacy on the public college side and continue respect in terms of leadership, how we educate our, our youth, can you please um, share your uh, opinion about that, please? So let's use a prime example of Deion Sanders. Mm-hmm. Deion Sanders goes to Jackson State, mm-hmm. turns the school around right. on the football program, right? Yes. But not only did he turn the football program around, he turned the school's, the the the, the thought processes mm-hmm. of the kids that were going to that university, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Wanting them to be better. Right. The stands had nobody in them. He put butts in the stands, right? Right. But the biggest part about it is he understood God's blessings. Mm-hmm. He may only made $300,000 with Jackson State. But he took that $300,000, right, and he fixed up that football field. He fixed up that locker room. He fixed up those stands. He had them repainted over here. He had uh, equipment rooms that were doing all that. But guess what? God blessed him, right? Now he's got a $5 million a year job. Mm -hmm. And what is he doing? He's still helping Jackson State. Yes. So at the end of the day, you know, when those folks have and do, and teach others to have and do. In other words, we'll go in and we'll do our tithes at church. But your educational institutions is a church. Because guess what? When I go to college and I link up with my partner, Greg, we're going to learn something from each other. That's our church because we're there together. So we got to figure out how are we going to make an impact on our educational institution? How do we do that? Time is worth more than money. We go back to those schools and we give back, give our time. Mm -hmm. We give money where we can. We go out and advocate for others to bring in money. You know, look what Dion did. He brought in all these professional people, right, rappers and everything else to be a part of the team. That's what we do. We go out and get these partnerships. I got to help my community. Can you help me help my community? I got the bodies. You got the money. Let's make this work. That's that's very good because the last conversation I want to have, we have about um, five minutes remaining. Um, I want to know um, specifically what is the key components that you need to see in a community that exemplifies success in a black community? I want you to name specific buildings, entity, collaboration, to have the ideal community that we can replicate all over America to uplift and to sustain our people for Mm. the future, please. Very simple. Care about something other than yourself. Period. The old folks used to tell us, love thy neighbor, that's what's in the Bible, right? But they say, love your people on your block, you know, if I'm hungry, feed me. Yes. You know, teach people how to fish, right? So they can go out and get it, mm-hmm. right? If you bring them fish all the time, mm-hmm. they're gonna expect fish all the time. You teach them how to fish, right? You know, these we we got away from you know the realist, the realism of of life, 
Mm-hmm. And, and that is if the old people used to say, sometimes you have to prune the tree in order for it to grow. Right. Sometimes you got to cut off the people in your life that ain't positive. Mm. Your community, you got to care about it. Right. And so if you care about your community, and I can tell you, the soldiers, the Buffalo Soldiers, the National Association of Buffalo Soldiers Troop Motorcycle Club care about the people, and that's what pushes us to be better, make somebody's life different. Right. Make somebody's life better. And you never know when you just ask, hey, how you doing? That probably saves somebody's life. Yes. Because they show that you care. Yes. And so that's where we are with it. We care about our communities around the country. Okay, so... Um, your solution to our black community is to make sure we care about one another, Period. to make sure that we um, ask each other how we're doing. How do we get back to that? Because, you know, that's something that's not happening. And, and, and also, we have to be honest, the people that may even listen to this podcast probably don't even um, live in those black communities and, and probably don't... Um, don't care or don't um, like, for instance, show love through having helping people build gardens, show show good health or good faith. How do we get people back to that? Because if that's your answer, then how do we have an objective to get to that space? Leaders must have charisma. Mm -hmm. Charisma is not taught. Uh, charisma is either you have it or you don't. Right. So. With that being said, uh, you have to have personal relationships with people in general. We have a friend of mine, his name is Boone. Boone has never met a stranger. He's going to make you smile one way or the other. Organizer sitting right next to me. You know, when we walked in the building, uh, the young lady who was eating it up front, he was like, hey, look, I got a, a fork. I'm going to help you eat your lunch, right? But you got to break the ice with everybody. You got to let people understand I'm a big black man, but I have a heart. I'm a big black man. You shouldn't be afraid of me. I'm probably going to be the one that saved you, right? I'm, I'm a big black man, but guess what? I'm coming into your community to make your community better. And so building relationships, having the wherewithal to understand people, be that chameleon that people need to see. So um, one last part, because I, I like to hear your op opinion about how do we solve the housing crisis? I mean, you got one minute to... to um, how do we solve the housing crisis? Yes. Let's start buying up the property. Yes. Okay. Putting people in property, right? And, and putting them in there. Uh, your mayor, I'm going to give her credit. She deals with Tampa Hope. She got the tiny home community starting over there, right? She's giving people an opportunity and a chance. Right. We have to do that for each other. Right. Let's go buy up some land, create our own communities. Look at Black Wall Street, right? Yes. Okay? Yes. We got away from that. Remember when the old men used to get up in the morning, suited and booted, read the newspaper, right? They weren't going nowhere. Now, what are we doing? Right. Hands down and everything, and that's cool. To me, that ain't cool. It's disrespectful. Right. It's disrespectful to my my culture. It's disrespectful to the black women. It's disrespectful to the people in front, so... That's that's the deal. So the housing crisis, okay, let's let's talk about that. So we need to start buying up property. We need to start um, building homes and taking responsibility, and taking for, responsibility for that property. That when I give you something and help you get into something, yes. help you need to help take care of it. Right. Don't punch holes in the wall, kick the doors in, bust the windows out. You got to have some responsibility. Right. In that. So 
I I know someone that thinks like you, Sergeant Major. Okay, <laughs> I I know I and, and you know my thing is that I admire you. I admire the person that thinks like you too. So, um, you just said something that um, exactly like another Sergeant Major from from Fort Bragg retired would say. He would say, oh, I put you in here, so, okay, you don't have to pay the first month rent, but you can fix it up. You know, fix it up, and uh, I'll come back in three months, and if it's fixed up, then we'll talk about the rent, right? Because he's, he's trying to figure out how much do you want to invest in you? How much do you like the property? Um, what can you do to show me that you, you want to be here? Um, what about picking up the trash? What about not? throwing the trash out on the ground. What about um, sweeping the sidewalk? So um, I admire what you just said, as I do admire him as well, because it gives you a whole, it gives you ownership. Period. Ownership. Period. That's, that's we all have is. to have ownership in our communities, mm-hmm. ownership of ourselves, mm-hmm. ownership of the people around us, mm-hmm. ownership of what we're trying to do in life, yes. you know, set goals for yourself. And guess what? You're not going to obtain all of them, mm-hmm. right? But you should be working towards all of them. All of and 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 that is awesome. Yes, um, that is great. That's awesome because I would like to just just say one more thing about that. Um, it goes back to caring. It goes back to accountability and responsibility. How you treat your neighborhoods, right? If you're throwing trash on the ground and you're showing your kid that nothing matters, you do, you litter and you and you throw things away. So what I want you to do now is tell me a little bit more about your organization, how people, if they want to reach you, if they want to reach your organization, to me, you have the most awesome organizer here, Dwayne. So <laughs> if, if um, you know, just tell us how we can reach you because this is um, prestigious. This is very prestigious. I'm impressed and I I want to know how I can reach out and how I can share with other people how to reach you. Well, if you go to our website, it's uh, nabstmc.com. Mm-hmm. That's nabstmc.com. And you can go to our website and you can get all the information that you want. And I'm going to tell you, I know we're a great organization mm-hmm. and I believe in what we do. Mm-hmm. I love what we do. And I'm passionate about what we do right. as an organization. And, and as my founder would say, we may not be the best, but we the best I know. Yes. So... I'm going to tell you, I don't know none no better. I don't know that motorcycle clubs, we take the stigma out of motorcycle clubs. Everybody has a stigma of gangs, right? Right. But we are a group of men and women that are passionate about what we do, right? And the quickest way to failure is trying to please everyone because you're never going to do it. That's very good. So work for the majority. That's very good. So thank you. Um, I'm actually... The national president is Motown Maurice, and he just interviewed with Fire and Ice Podcast. And so I'd like to say thank you because this is an honor. This is a real honor. So thank you. And hey, community, see you next week um, here on Fire and Ice Podcast. Thank you.
coming from.